helping clients meet their financial goals and prepare for the future. Schroders actively and responsibly manages investments. The world is forever changing, and we understand the need to adapt and evolve in line with what matters most to our clients. Here with me today is Barry Norris, founder and CEO of Argonaut Capital and manager of the top performing Argonaut Absolute Return Fund. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Yeah. You've been short several coronavirus vaccine developers this year. How have the announcements from Moderna and Pfizer played into this? So we expected Pfizer and Moderna to clear what was a, a low bar of 50% efficacy from the FDA. So we haven't been short um, any uh, vaccine company that is likely to 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 have a credible vaccine uh, to pass this very low bar. Um, I think uh, what, we would, what we would note is uh, the efficacy is, is high, and obviously that's, that, that's, that's good news, but it still doesn't tackle uh, two basic concerns we have about coronavirus vaccines, which is, uh, do they stop transmission of the virus and uh, the, the trials don't prove this. They simply uh, stop disease progression in healthy adults. And do they still work as well or nearly as well in the old and the already sick, who are those obviously most at risk from COVID hospitalization or, or mortality? And again, uh, there's still questions to be answered there in that uh, there hasn't been uh, sufficient data uh, presented that really uh, can, can tackles that issue of of whether the vaccine will actually work in the people that need it most. One of the interesting um, uh, parts of, of the story here is uh, you know the impact on on markets and and the uh, economy. And uh, I read that um, over the weekend that short sellers lost something like seven hundred million after the uh, market bounce. So I was, I was wondering how you were affected by that. Yeah, so we spent most of the last couple of months telling people that when this positive COVID vaccine news comes out, it won't be a silver bullet. And of course, when it came out, the market reacted as if it was a silver bullet and immediately priced everything as back to normal. And uh, we saw the biggest one and two day mean reversion in stocks uh, since they began measuring it in, in over 40 years. So if you had performance year to date, uh, you, you lost some of it. And if you, you, you were struggling, uh, it's likely that you did very well. So there's been a, a classic mean reversion trade uh, with uh, you know, many value stocks or stocks that have been most impacted by COVID back to uh, their June or, or, or February levels already. And you know, for us, um, we think that the market has has uh, wrongly viewed the vaccine news as a silver bullet and has moved to already price in most, most of the recovery potential um, from economies normalizing and, and actually fewer the risks. So um, the sort of payoff profile, if you like, in, in a lot of these uh, value, high beta value stocks tends to be uh, that they underperform for quite a long period of time. And then they have these uh, phases of, 
of um, short bursts of significant outperformance. So it's certainly our view that that um, the rotation, just a simple scale of the rotation, means that this is probably not a very good entry point into value now, and it's actually probably a pretty good time to sell. Interesting. Um, but you know that sort of raises questions of uh, you know what if you are wrong and the vaccine is found soon you know what protection i mean a, a more effective vaccine uh, yeah. what protection does the fund offer in that in that kind of scenario well i think that the, the best case scenario for for the vaccine is that um it'll be widely available from the spring uh and then covid as an issue by this time next year is is solved if you like and and um and uh, we never have to worry about certainly COVID-19 uh, again, but perhaps uh, might not be true of, of, of other viruses in, in the future. So for us, that's at least 12 months of um, potential infection suppression policies, including lockdown. It's 12 months if you've owned some of these value stocks that have bounced a lot, uh, to have it to be incredibly patient while revenues are uh, haven't recovered, why cash is still burning. And we therefore don't think it's a great entry point to get excited about um, these stocks at this particular point. Mm -hmm. um, now, you ask, uh, what about uh, the fund? So, I mean, we've been sort of quite clear on what how people should see the fund and what role it should play in terms of diversifying market beta. So, um, we generally have the view that, that the active fund management industry has been disrupted by passive, that if people want exposure to, to market beta, they can buy that cheaply. So we don't do that. We provide a product which diversifies, which is intentionally designed to, to generate returns at different times than market beta. I think we demonstrated that uh, during March where growth managers lost money, value managers lost even more money, but we had a, a record month. So I'd always encourage people to see the fund uh, as a diversifier, as a fund that delivers returns at different times to, to the market and therefore most of the other funds uh, that people own. And, and, and therefore, you know, our, 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 our sort of ambition, if you like, is, is of course always to make money, but we're going to, we, we, I think we will make returns at different points uh, to the market uh, 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 and everybody else. Most of the, uh, most of the outperformance you mentioned, I mean, this year, mm. uh, I think, I believe is, uh, has come from shorts, right? Yeah. And um, so, I mean, I'm just curious what, where you see the biggest short opportunities at the moment. So I think, um, some of the shorts that we have um, done very well in this year have actually been completely unconnected to COVID. So you know, Wirecard uh, was our best performing uh, short. Obviously, that's on its way to, to, to going to zero. Uh, NMC Healthcare also, uh, you know, despite the, 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 the name, obviously uh, went into administration uh, this year as well, because its owners were were um, allegedly siphoning off assets um, for their for their own use. So, 
um, there's always going to be a number of companies on the stock market that uh, run, where the management runs the companies in the interest of the management or the controlling shareholders, and where, frankly, they're up to no good. And um, we still see many opportunities in these types of company. Uh, and, you know, we maintain uh, uh, sh significant short positions in these types of company. And then I think there's two other sources of opportunity. One, I think, is in uh, stocks where um, actually this year has been great for those stocks, but the market is overestimating their long-term earnings potential. Um, and I think uh, there has been a, a few stocks in the portfolio where uh, we're pretty confident that their benefit from COVID isn't going to uh, last longer than uh, uh, this year. And certainly, uh, they may never translate their so-called potential into revenues, let alone uh, profits. And then I think finally, there, there's stocks where we think that, as we did previously discussed, that the, the, the recovery potential from economic normalization is already priced in. Uh, and you know, there, are, there are, for example, lots of stocks hurt by COVID whose enterprise value now is actually higher than what it was pre-crisis. Uh, and that's because uh, they've accumulated more and more debts this year. And actually, although the market cap may have gone down, the debt has gone up and it's gone up more than the market cap loss. So I don't think anyone can make the argument that that COVID as a whole has been a net positive for, for many of these companies, is, which is what we're sort of currently witnessing. I mean, short sellers have been uh, criticised, I think, especially earlier this year uh, by regulators, uh, such as former FCA boss Andrew Bailey, for yeah. taking advantage of the market turmoil. Yeah. And uh, I mean, what would you say to the idea that short selling is uh, morally wrong in such circumstances? Yeah, well, I'm always intrigued by those sorts of naive comments from people that are supposed to be in positions of authority and don't seem to have any knowledge about how short selling works. So without short selling, who would find these, these companies that are up to no good? It's not going to be the long only managers. It's not going to be the investment banks. Uh, and it's probably not going to be the regulator either. So without short sellers, um, you don't have this self-regulating effect of the stock market. I think what was quite irritating about those comments is that anybody who's a professional short seller never claims it's easy. Um, the market acts in a way which is uh, you know, against you from a promotional point of view. Very few people uh, produce research uh, pointing out the weaknesses in companies, business models, or suggesting wrongdoing. Um, you have to obviously borrow uh, stock in order to go short. And sometimes that borrow uh, is withheld or recalled at, at, at difficult uh, moments where you don't actually want to close your position. And most of the time when the market falls, short sellers are actually taking profit from from short. So certainly in, in March and April, where you had this great patriotic call uh, that apparently uh, selling stocks rather than buying stocks was somehow immoral. Uh, I would have thought that the sort of uh, the, the pantomime hedge fund villains of, of Mayfair were actually net buyers of stock rather than the other way around.
Um, but do you sort of understand why someone might be squeamish at the idea of saying, you know, if you're betting against a, a vaccine uh, developer and, you know, in a sense, you're, you're hoping that, um, that they won't come out with a, a vaccine, do you, what would you say to that kind of, uh, <laughs> that, that, that stance? Well, I mean, you know, you may be a supporter of a, a fairly average football team and, and, and want them to win, but not necessarily want to bet on them winning. Mm-hmm. I think the reason why we're short COVID vaccines or why we were short many of those COVID vaccine stocks is not because we didn't want to see a, uh, a solution to COVID, but because uh, the claims of the company to provide solutions to COVID just didn't stand scrutiny. And these are companies on public markets subject to public scrutiny that raise money from the public. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, some of them are, are, will know better than, a, um, you know, a, uh, a press release saying we have a promising vaccine candidate with no history of um, ever having um, had any uh, expertise in this area and, and quite a lot of history of just stock promotion and insider selling. So I don't really understand how uh, when you have these stock promotion stories that are actually just preying on people's fears and on, on, on taxpayers' uh, subsidies, that when those management teams are promoting their stock um, by, by suggesting that they have solutions to COVID where they, where they more than likely don't have any chance of providing one, and those same management teams are selling stock, that somehow it's moral for them to sell stock and, uh, uh, whilst going against their own claims, but somehow immoral for, for uh, a long short fund to to suggest that their, their shares are overvalued. I mean, so in a sense, as, as you, I think you, you often argue, you know, I mean, uh, short selling is good uh, for exposing frauds. Mm. And, uh, and you know, I, I mean, I, some, you know, a piece of uh, writing you, you, you sent me recently prompted me to, you know, to, to ask this question. So, so what do you think does more good in the world, ESG investing or short selling? Um, I think ESG investing is still pretty unproven. I think there's a really high subjective element to what companies are being asked to do. And um, many of the things that companies are being asked to do have historically been the realm of government. And I think if if companies are being asked to do that, then there should be a, a quid pro quo in that government become smaller and taxes companies less in return for companies um, being responsible for for driving uh, political agendas forward. Um, Because if companies are expected to do that as well as um, pay their employees, pay back their debt and generate a profit and pay a dividend, then I think we're asking companies to do too much. Um, So if you like the 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 moral angle of short selling in terms of focusing on governance and poor governance and companies that are ripping uh, their shareholders off and in many ways um, diverting shareholders' funds um, uh, for crime, I think that 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 is in many ways a much more objective uh, way of ensuring good corporate governance 
And I think in terms of bang for buck, um, we've been short uh, at least three, if not four companies that have been exposed as, as frauds this year. So I think certainly the, the, the Argonaut has, has, has done a fantastic job in terms of the governance part of, of, of ESG uh, this year and probably provided more bang, bang for buck than any uh, ESG fund. The, the fund has seen a, a lot of uh, volatility over over three years, however. Um, what would you say to those who see it as too risky despite uh, the strong performance? Well, I think it's one of the reasons why we say, uh, we point out that the fund is a diversifier. So we never say to people, put all of your eggs into one Argonaut basket. But we say Argonaut uh, could be a good uh, egg in your overall investment basket because um, the, the whole point of the fund is it's uh, lowly correlated to markets that will have successes and failures but the key issue is that our successes and failures will come at different points to the market and therefore of every other fund that you own so the whole point of diversification at the portfolio management level is to try to ensure that you have assets that obviously you want all your assets to deliver positive returns, which we do. But ideally, if you're doing your job in terms of portfolio management, you want things that deliver returns at different times. Um, and, and therefore, with regard to the volatility, um, actually, ironically, I'm doing myself out of raising more money by, by not halving the volatility because I'm providing somebody only really needs to give me 50p rather than a pound to get the same level of diversification if I've got twice the volatility. Um, so, so, I mean, it's one of the great frustrations about the absolute return sector that people have seen it as this kind of cash plus go nowhere fun sector. And I think if you want cash, go to the bank. Uh, you know, if you want a fund that delivers non-correlated double-digit annualized returns that diversify then we can offer you that and i think the frustration with absolute return is there's never been a proper debate and uh you know we still more often than not now you know get people that simply don't understand what we're trying to achieve hmm. your um long only European equity strategies have uh, fared a bit less well performance-wise mm. in, in yep. recent years. Uh, why is that? Well, obviously, we, we're following a, um, an earnings uh, surprise uh, strategy. And I think we've been through a period of time where, um, where, where if you like, performance has been very focused on high-quality uh, companies. So, um, you know, I'd like to think that um, earning surprise could can generate performance in in, in growth markets as well as uh, value markets. And obviously, you know, we did fantastically well in the last value bull market before 2008. On the whole, um, we've done well since the financial crisis in, a, in what's been a, a growth market. But of course, um, we we are high you know high conviction highly concentrated uh, fund on 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 the long side and we will have periods uh, when certainly compared to the benchmark that we um, 
you know, we, 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 we will be, uh, the performance will come at um, obviously different times and be a little bit more lumpy than, than, than most funds. Okay, I mean, have you sort of uh, made any major changes to the strategy recently? Uh, I think you have two two European, yeah, uh, yes. equity funds. Right? So, you know, one of the um, a few years ago, um, we decided um, for the absolute return fund to to go beyond Europe because we were thinking that we were missing out on many of the opportunities. Um, and, and it's, it's been fairly noticeable, um, that some of our best performing longs in the absolute return fund, uh, have actually been from outside Europe. So, you know, most notably in, 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 in the U S so, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think when you start off, obviously I started off as a Europe ex UK manager, I then became a pan-European manager, so including everything from the UK to Russia. And then a few years ago, we started looking at the US market as, as well. And I think you know, that is, you know, that is always uh, interesting from your career because you don't want to be looking at the same old companies uh, all the time. But I think it also gives you a, a perspective to uh, wider opportunities and to be able to put those opportunities in context. So I suspect that the way that most active um, products will go in the future is, is, is not to be geographical constrained in any way. Uh, and particularly where you, where you have a, a, a wider universe, it doesn't really make sense in the long term to then be constrained to just pick stocks from a small part of that universe. So I would, I would, I would, I, I, and at the same time, I have to say, I don't think anybody allocates money to Europe now with any great enthusiasm in that um, one of the reasons that we, we that we um, went to a more global mandate on absolute return is that if you stick Europe on a fund title, people run to the hills <laughs> and it's kind of like anything other than anything other than Europe. And I think, um, I, I, I think you know that 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 is a a, a constraining uh, factor. And I, and I think I think over time, um, you know, and at the right and at the right point, um, you know, I suspect that all of the uh, mandates that we do will 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 be global. Hmm. Um, I know you you said just now, in a sense, that now is not the time to buy back in probably yeah. uh but i do remember back in april you suggested the response from central banks to the crisis had been making you a bit more bullish i mean yeah. has that has that uh have you maintained that view so so yeah so so in in april may we actually believed in a in a v-shaped recovery that everything all the circumstances were there for for a for a, for a v-shaped recovery in the um, when we went into lockdowns, we were told it's a second Spanish flu, and, and um, certainly uh, after you know a month or two of, of lockdowns, it was clear that actually the risk wasn't symmetrical in society; that it was actually focused in the 
the one percent rather than the ninety nine percent, and therefore we might have thought that the um, the the public health policy might have become a little bit more sophisticated and nuanced at that stage. We also had, of course, um, fantastic monetary and fiscal response, which was simply unparalleled. Uh, and you had a massive sell-off in the market. And moreover, we were coming out of coronavirus season into the summer where cases would naturally fall off. Um, so I believe then that the, the, the V-shaped recovery, if you like, that markets have sort of factored in in the last couple of days was much more likely and much more uh, likely to have legs. I think... I think where where we became a little bit uh, more skeptical and, and repositioned accordingly uh, was when governments sort of doubled down on lockdown policies over the summer uh, that told you they weren't going to accept that it wasn't the second Spanish flu, that they sort of dug themselves this propaganda hole that they were determined to 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 see through, and. The, the longer this went on, the more ingrained the new, the new habits will become. So I now think, if you think about now, what does normalization look like? If we went back to normal in April, May, June uh, of this year, then I think normalization would look very much like um, 2019, that 2000 and you know 21 would look very much like 2019. If we go back, if COVID disappears at some time next year, I still think 2021 is now going to look more like 2020 than 2019, because habits um, have become ingrained, and um, people will take what they want from. Uh, the COVID and the lockdown experience, and they'll they'll say never again to the to the hassle of the commute, uh, to the to the tedium of business travel, but they probably want to get back to sort of socialising, restaurants, live entertainment, participatory sport, holidays. So I think I think that that the longer this has gone on, the more habitual COVID has become, and the more long term impact it will have. Uh, on the economy, which is why I think, you know, one of the greatest surprises of next year, despite there being a vaccine available that um, will prevent disease progression in 99% of people, is that actually 2021 looks like more like 2020 than 2019. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Schroders is built on 200 years of experience and expertise. We partner with our clients, constructing innovative products and solutions across private assets and alternatives, solutions, mutual funds, institutional and wealth management. By combining our commitment to active management and focus on sustainability, our strategic capabilities are designed to deliver positive outcomes. With over 5,000 talented staff across 35 locations, we are able to stay close to our clients and understand their needs.